that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar. And open the door to join us for the 59th meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm Blatodia Blasting Mike. And I'm a penguin who is revolting against her formal attire by wearing basketball shorts from Kohl's. Meredith. We meet every week in our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. To talk about our favorite animals. Well, we lack in expertise. We make up for in childlike wonder and enthusiasm. Unbridled enthusiasm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Wow. If I'm not a little rusty. Yeah, Meredith. You know, uh, myself also, after our two-week stealth unannounced hiatus, we've returned and we're just working out all the arthropods. All the crickets, all the arthropods. It's dusty in here. Yeah. Bugs, crustaceans. We uh, blasted open the barn doors today and we were just met by just mounds of moths flying out in our faces. If only we had kept the show in a cedar trunk. We should look into that. We need to, um, we could put it on the company card. Yeah. If you or your friends make cedar trunks, send us an email, animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. So Meredith, how was your week in animals? It was interesting. So um, I don't think I'm very good at like knowing when and when not to mention like really gross things, but I'm just going to go for this. So if you're squeamish and you don't like gross things, Maybe tune out for like a minute. Don't have to tell me twice. (laughs) This roach journey I've been going on, right? And I think I have mentioned on here that in the midst of my roach journey, when I was like down on my hands and knees, like shining the flashlight into the deep recesses of my kitchen, I saw that there was like a glue trap with a very old mouse stuck on it that I think like predated me. Uh huh. So I came home because I was gone. Putting in my time at the Dalmatian Station Midwest Cincinnati Outpost. But I came back and I was just kind of checking on the status. I wasn't really seeing any roaches or anything. I was like, ooh, okay, maybe we maybe we uh, made some headway here. So I was like looking down where um, that mouse uh, used to be because that dead mouse is no longer on that glue trap. And my only thought is that those roaches just like like annihilated it. Carried him away or something? Like did a sort of funeral pyre thing? But it was like on the glue trap. But the mouse was just gone. Like you could see a few tufts of its fur. But like other than that, it was like it had never been there. What the F? That's the mystery of the disappearing mouse. Yeah, in my kitchen. I do have a couple questions though about like why the glue trap has just been in the home with the dead mouse on it. Why you didn't like dispose of it when you found it, I guess. Um, because I am the only one to do such things. And if I didn't feel like doing it, no one was going to do it. So. Heard. You know? Heard. (laughs) Well, Meredith, on the subject of pests, (laughs) I continued my bug battle and I have some substantial updates. Oh my gosh, I love this. This has turned into a pest control podcast, which was not the original intention, but is acceptable to a certain extent. Yes. (laughs) It's relevant. After a significant deep cleaning of the kitchen, including points both high and low, (laughs) and a series of targeted attacks at strongholds and, frankly, weakly held outposts as well, (laughs) I feel that I have done significant damage, at the very least, to the roach infrastructure that was previously present. And so that is absolutely thrilling. I will tell you that I have seen mounds of things that I really wish I hadn't seen in my (laughs) home at all, let alone in the place where I am like, you know, preparing food and stuff. But I feel like the work that has happened that took, you know, a full day to really do like the main attack and 
I still kind of have a little bit more tidying up to do in there, but I feel better. I feel like I've increased the level of cleansiness Mm -hmm. of cleanliness in my home. I feel like I've taken back my home a little bit, even though, you know, there's still been occasional moments of, you know, frustration and some loose buggers running around causing me a bit of, uh, you know, acid reflux. Yeah. But for the most part, for the most part... (laughs) I mean, <laughs> substantial damage was done. Can I just say that I really love the word cleansiness? Cleansliness. <laughs> cleansiness. Is that what you said before? I think I might have said cleansiness. I don't know, but I love it. But I've increased the level of cleanliness and cleansiness. It's great. And it is thrilling to cleanse. You live in a fortress of cleansiness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, Meredith, that unlike some people, I do not have the level of hubris that would lead me to believe that I have completely addressed my roach problem. Oh, yeah. However, significant gains have been made. There's a new series of traps out. There's a trap schedule where a new series of traps will be put out after a certain period of time. And we will be like kind of cycling through traps because it is not just one battle. It is a war. It's true. But I've, you know, drawn a more maintainable battle line and a clearer battle line. And I feel really good about that. You know, I'm proud of you. Oh, thanks, Meredith. Together we will get through this. Yeah. I have faith. I have faith. I will say, Meredith, that also more stuffed animals have been coming out in my apartment, coming out of hiding as (laughs) there's been more renovating and cleanlinessing, cleansing, sizing, and redecorating. So that's fun. (laughs) Cleansing. Cleansing. Is that a sloth I see back there? Yeah, it is, Meredith. That's a sloth. I got that sloth in Mexico, in Monterrey, at a shopping mall. It's a Japanese company. But it's adorable, isn't it? He's super cute. Yeah, he'll come up to the camera, but it'll take him an hour and a half. So (laughs) we'll check in with him later. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And then also, Meredith, I'll tell you that Gentleman Dog, friend of the show, former guest Tyson, made a Zoom appearance (gasps) recently. Yes, buddy. Oh, that's an old dog, Meredith. That is an old, that's an old dog. Sweet buddy. Oh, I love old dogs. I saw a woman in the park, in Central Park, when I was running last week. She had like, I mean, it's New York City, it's Manhattan. There's just doodles everywhere. It's like poodles mixed with all sorts of things. And one of these is a sheep a doodle. It's like a sheep dog and a poodle. They're very cute, but they're kind of big and they're real like doofy. But I saw a woman like dancing with her sheep a doodle in the park. <laughs> Like she had the dog's like legs up in her arms and was just like dancing with it. I said, you go, girl. <laughs> yeah, same, right? <laughs> if I had a big old sheep-a-doodle, you best believe I would be taking it to the park to dance for everybody. Yeah, I mean, same, <laughs> honestly. I think we might both be wearing tutus if I'm real. Right? Oh, doggy tutus. Yes, please. Uh, well, Meredith, do you want to just kind of jump right into it? Yeah, I think we should. All right. Well, you go first because <laughs> it's an odd number. Okay. I sure do. Great. Oh, boy. Are you ready? No. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, really. But, but okay. okay. But okay, okay anyway. Okay, anyway. Great. <laughs> Texana, you. Texana, we. Texana, who. Texana, me. Kingdom. Animalia. Opening lines of animal inquiry. Phylum. Cordata, overrepresented but still fabulous. Class. Mammalia, brought to you by blowholes. Order. Artiodactyla, are toes of any use in the water? Family. Delphini day. Genus. Orcanus, of the kingdom of the dead. Species. Orcanus, orca. We must free all the willies. It's the orca whale. Well, it's a whale of a tail. A whale of a tail indeed. Da-da. I told you that there was a My Creature Had a Song. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you've been singing Michael Jackson. I've been singing Tom Petty. That's how we began. That's how we roll. So, yeah, Orca Whales, baby. Also known as the Killer Whale. But I'm going to go with Orca. Okay. Because that's kind of a little bit more fun, as we will learn. Uh huh. Okay, Uh quick tax facts, order, we know them, we love them, the even-toed undulates, artiodactyla, rah, rah, rah. This might be puzzling. We've talked about this before, but it's always still a bit of a head-scratcher. We think artiodactyla like 
What are some examples? Like an elk, a moose, all of those hooved friends out there. Mm-hmm. Deer, antelopes. Antelopes. You, we love them. So it's like, what are they doing in the ocean? So these are essentially the aquatic eventoda undulates. Right. And they essentially evolved from when like land creatures kind of like, I guess, Artiodactyla eventoda undulates of yore made their way into the oceans and then kind of evolved into our cetacean friends, the cetacean nation. Meredith, I remember we first talked about that with the chevrotain, the Indian yes. spotted chevrotain. Yes. Which are little Trigulidae friends. They look like mini deer. They're ungulates. Yeah, with funny teeth. Yeah, they have funny teeth. They're tiny little deer, but they're not true deer. Of course not. And they kind of exist. Some species or subspecies exist in this sort of semi-aquatic setting. Right. Which is pointed to as an example of where they may you know, have descended into the sea. Yes, indeed. So there's kind of a word for this. I actually didn't know this until I saw it today, but it was essentially combining um, cetacean and artiodactyla. So cetardiodactyla. Cetardiodactyla. What did you call me? (laughs) A cetardiodactyla. What do you use those toes for in the water? I don't get it. Okay. But anyway, family, Delphinidae. So this is referring to a widely distributed family of dolphins that live in the sea. So it's a little bit confusing, again, because we say like killer whale when actually they're more closely related to dolphins than they would be to whales. So they're actually the orcas are like the largest of the dolphin species. Mm. Getting it wrong all the easier. Uh-huh. Okay, so genus Orcanus. This genus includes four species, but the orca is the only one that's still alive. So the other three have since extincted. And this is so funny, and I'm not really sure where this designation comes from, but Orcanus means from the kingdom of the dead. And this is kind of from like ancient Roman times that this term would have been used. Uh-huh. Orcanus. Orcanus. So it's very, it's used very similar to, in concept to like Hades. So Orcanus was the person that ruled the underworld, and also Orcanus was the name of the underworld. It's like Hades was the ruler of uh-huh. Hades, uh-huh. the underworld. Sure. I guess the etymology of Orcanus also can be extended to like ogres. Oh, interesting. Like fairy tales and also orcs. Orcs, yeah. Interesting. I don't really know much about orcs because I'm like not a total nerd. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that I know just enough about orcs to get it wrong. And then the feedback would just be full of correction barn requests, you know? Yeah, so it's like, I don't know, these like spirits, goblins, I guess. Yeah, I would say orcs are kind of goblin adjacent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's, but it is something that's kind of like, I guess, pejorative, like ogres and. Things like that. So I'm just wondering where uh, I couldn't find anything about like why that would have been applied to these orca whales. But I mean, whatever. Lines of inquiry. Let us know. Animalfangrubpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Sure do. And then finally, by the time we get to species, it's just our one friend, the Orcanus orca, a.k.a. the killer whale, a.k.a. Shamu, a.k.a. Willie, who was actually played by a whale named Keiko. Let's hear it for Keiko. Oh, Keiko went through a lot. Yeah, understatement. This is probably one of the most depressing reports I ever did because I like made the mistake of watching a documentary about them. And it's just what <sighs> these guys suffer in their in captivity is just really upsetting. <laughs> But we'll talk about that. Okay, so now we are out of tax facts and we can get into the meat. Okay, so this is the most widely distributed marine mammal. You look at the map of their distribution and it's pretty much like all of the ocean, except for like a few pockets in the Arctic Ocean. Wow. But they're really everywhere else, which is crazy because I can't really think of any other animal. I mean, aside from like flies and things like that, but like large mammals that are so cosmopolitan. Yeah, megafauna, right. Yeah, so in a way, they're very similar to, in terms of their distribution from one end of the earth to the other, they're similar to humans in that way. And also in terms of their uh, complexity and intelligence and social structures, again, as we will talk about as I go through this, But just quickly, in terms of appearance, I would say, I bet we could call these guys, like, charismatic. Oh, 
I can't, there's a movie called Free Willy where one of them is freed that, <laughs> yes. you know, helped instill a distrust of aquatic, like live aquatic mammal shows in an entire generation. And yes. was probably a big part of what ended SeaWorld. Like, right. The, Ax- the, yep. the orca is without a doubt charismatic megafauna. Yeah. And I mean, they're just so distinct. Like they just... You you know it. You know one when you see one. And what do they look like? They um, distinctively bear a black back and a white chest and sides and a white patch above and behind the eye, which always kind of looks like an eye. But really, their eyes are just tiny little like whale eyes, dolphin eyes. They actually have what I think sounds pretty cute, uh, like right behind their um, dorsal fin. So that big fin on their back. They have a saddle patch. <laughs> saddle patch. That's cute. So it's like if you were to be like riding a orca whale, which don't do that. We don't need to be doing that shit. There is a great movie called Whale Rider that I highly recommend. Oh, yeah? Do, does Oh, wait. You don't know about this? Oh, if you need to heal after watching Free Willy, I definitely recommend Whale Rider. It's okay. a story of a Maori girl and... A whale, essentially. Is it an orca? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Oh, I do want to watch that. That sounds... Yeah. Highly recommended. Okay. Well, cool. Maybe she sits on that saddle patch. She may. When she's when she's doing her whale riding. <laughs> and this is what blows me away, is actually talking about the dorsal fin. It's like six feet tall. So if we're doing like a mic size comparison... Right. That That little dorsal fin could like tap you on the head, right? Or could like... Yeah, that's just the dorsal fin. Just the dorsal fin. If I was standing next to it, I could get up on my tiptoes and bite the tip of it. <laughs> Ooh, I bet it would feel kind of like nice to bite. Yeah, it would probably, yeah. Kind of like rubbery. It would be like biting onto a wetsuit. Yes. Yes, exactly. Not that I would ever bite a dorsal fin. Don't come at me. Orc lovers and dorsal fin fighters. So in terms of size, um, like I said, they're the largest extant members of the dolphin family. Um, and males can be like up to 26 feet long and weigh up to six tons. That's so much. That's a lot of LBs. Six tons is a lot of pounds. Yes. So females are a little bit smaller. So up to like 23 feet and up to four tons. That's a lot of whale. So dainty. That is a whole, a whole lot of whale. And interestingly, I didn't know this, but you can tell males and females apart by the shapes of their dorsal fins. So male dorsal fins are just kind of like, they stick kind of like straight up. It says like an elongated isosceles triangle. So that's going to be the triangle that has like two sides of equal length and the, what is an isosceles triangle? I, you know, you've you've got me. There's an equilateral and an isosceles and I've forgotten the third kind. So let's... Let's do a quick little fact check. Yeah, let's take a little ma- of geometry break. Geometry break. Da-da. So we got equilateral, we got isosceles, and we got scalene. <laughs> equilateral triangle has three sides that are all the same right. length. The isosceles triangle has two sides that are equal length, and then a third side that's a different length. Right. And a scalene has all different, different lengths, lengths for the three sides. Okay. Scalene. That's like baleen. It is. Talking whales. Yeah. Ooh, we're talking baleen whales. No, we're not. We're talking orca. <laughs> this is not a baleen whale. No. It's like a dolphin. Right. Cool. Okay, yeah. So this isos just picture like a like a stretched out isosceles triangle. So like the, the shorter side would be the one attached to the whale's back. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. the two and the other equal two sides are like long and equal. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the dorsal fin on the female's back is kind of it doesn't stick straight up, but almost kind of like the tip of it almost kind of curls back a little bit. Uh-huh. So you can definitely find pictures of this stuff online, but I just thought that was very interesting. And also, you can identify males versus females that way, but you can also identify individual whales by like their saddle patches and also by like kind of the nicks and crags and the different injuries that have been incurred upon the dorsal fin. And it's not always like you know, from a boat or something. A lot of times it will be indicative of the kind of prey they eat. So if it's a whale that is doing a lot of hunting of sharks, for instance, they are in more danger of kind of as they're hunting and preying upon these sharks, they'll, they're prone to injury. And those injuries will show up 
on their dorsal fins and it kind of acts as like a whale fingerprint. Uh So people can actually tell these whales apart by kind of the damage on their dorsal fins. And this is so fun. So there are actually like published directories. It's kind of like the whale yearbook. Oh, oh, adorable. It's like fin book. It's fin book. It's It's so sweet. Yeah, so they all have identifying photographs and they have names. And so it's like a directory. You can just flip through and be like, I'm feeling like a real shabu today. (laughs) Shabu is 20 feet long. (laughs) She loves snacking on sea turtles and she loves playing with her brother. Like, (laughs) wow, that's so exciting because you can take not just like a species energy, but an individual member of the species energy. (laughs) Yes. Mm. I'm feeling like a real shabu today. I like that. Yeah, so I would love, I really actually, maybe once we're finished here, I kind of want to see if I can go online and look at like one of these fin books. Okay, and then also like, this is where I'm like, same girl. They These guys have an insulating layer of blubber, like up to four inches. So it's just a nice little protective coating, just like what I have on my belly. <laughs> so speaking of bellies, their diets are as follows. So they are apex predators, so they don't really have anybody that preys on them, right. but they kind of eat all kinds of things. Uh-huh. And they're sometimes called the wolves of the sea. Ooh, Ooh, you like that. like that a lot. Yeah, so they eat like a wide variety of marine life. So fish like herring or salmon, birds like penguins, other mammals. So they'll like eat other, say, like young, vulnerable sperm whales, for instance. It's a little hard, harder for them to take down an adult. And then let's see. Oh, yeah. So, like I said, these young sperm whales, seals, sea lions, sea turtles, cephalopods. You know, if it's swimming in the ocean and it's got some good meat on it, the orcas are probably into it. But it's actually not that easy because the diet will actually depend on what whale culture you're referring to. And I do mean culture because these whales are so socially specified and sophisticated that they have their own little groups that will literally have their own dialects. Yeah. They specialize in hunting a particular kind of animal. Uh So some groups of killer whales, for instance, love munching on herring, whereas others like to take down sharks. It's just depending on where they are located and the kind of systems that they've developed. So it's just absolutely, absolutely fascinating. And so like us, we are too kind of categorized by who we hang out with, the specific things we like to eat and the ways that we speak to one another. So it's culture in the same way that we experience culture. I love that. Yeah, it's just super, super duper fascinating. In terms of just their kind of day-to-day behavior, it'll generally consist of foraging. So doing that, looking for food, traveling, resting, and socializing. Agreed. Um, And this is like one of my favorites, this behavior called breaching. And that's like all the pictures you see where it's just like the whale kind of like up out of the water. Or just like doing a big belly flop. Uh Like still to this day when I'm in a pool, I love to pretend that I'm a killer whale. And I like jump up out of the water and like flop down on my side and just, you know, just really feel some good orca energy. I love that for you. (laughs) It's very funny. You should try. I've been known to do that too. I definitely feel like strong cetacean vibes when I'm in a pool Mm -hmm. and I can like kind of propel myself out. Like if it's a three foot pool and I can really like launch myself dramatically as if I'm a, an ungulate of the ski. (laughs) Le ungulate de mer. (laughs) L'ungulate de mer. L'ungulate de mer. Oui. Ooh la la, je t'aime. Ça va bien. Ça va bien, merci et toi. That was like the first. <laughs> I'm good, and you? Dove biblioteca. That was more Italian. <laughs> Focus. Okay, so I mentioned kind of their complex social structure. So only elephants and higher primates can actually experience like comparably complex social lives. And that is exactly why, you know, all of these issues have come up with keeping them in captivity because these are highly, highly social creatures. They need a lot of space to swim. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, you can imagine kind of like your mind going to mush when it's not being used in the way for which it was designed. And I think they just, they go crazy just without, 
you know, outlets for their vast intelligence and they're like literally massive brains. Right. They're subjected to all kinds of just like weird skin conditions. There's just so much on so many levels, like biologically, mentally, physically, that these whales, they're just not equipped for this, like by any means. But in a more interesting and heartwarming aspect of this, particular groups of whales will actually live with their mothers for their entire lives. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) Mama's babies. Mama's orca. Mama's orca. These family groups are based on what are called matrilines. That's going to be like the matriarch and then her sons and daughters and the descendants of her daughters, etc. So each matriline will probably have about like five to six members, but then these matrilines will kind of connect. So they're kind of like related, loosely related, but they form pods. Mm. So a bunch of matrilines together are called pods. Oh. Yeah, which is really interesting and again kind of speaks to their really close connection to one another and how they just need to be with other whales, particularly whales that are like literally family. But they also, in terms of communication, they rely heavily on echolocation. So they produce like clicks and whistles and pulsed calls. And so this is what I was mentioning earlier in terms of dialects. So the members of a resident pod, they together kind of create their own specific calls that wouldn't necessarily be the same as what you would hear on from a pod on the other side of the world, for instance. So just fascinating. That's really interesting. Okay. So real quick, just some life cycle stuff. So female killer whales begin to mature at around age 10. But check this out. So they live to be like an average of like up to, I don't know, like 45, 50 years old. But some have been documented living till they were like 80 or 90. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Grandma whale. That's one old orca. Sure is. Female whales, orcas can breed until age 40. And then they have a rapid decrease in fertility And they're one of the few animals that actually have a menopause. And then they live for a long time after, like, their breeding life. Oh. Which is, you know, we're so used to that as humans, that concept. But really, until I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. You don't really hear much about women living much longer. I shouldn't say women, female. Female animals living much longer after their breeding years. Right. Something interesting to muse about. Yeah, so males will, act, you know, mate with females from other pods because if you're going to mate within your own pod, it's like fishing off the dock you piss off of. Yeah, don't fish off the company pier. That's my best advice to anyone ever. These male whales don't do that. That's good. To prevent that inbreeding, they actually will go outside of the pod. So gestation takes up to it's like 15 to 18 months. And mommies will have a baby about every five years, should she choose to. <laughs> and then, of course, as I always like to talk about, and just to finish this up real quick, the orca whale has major significance to a lot of indigenous communities. A lot of these examples I found uh, pertain to like the Pacific Northwest. So the Kwakutl people, I love this one. The killer whale was regarded as the ruler of the undersea world with sea lions for slaves oh. and dolphins for warriors. Oh, wow. Isn't that like a fun underwater? Yeah, I kind of do like the image of, I don't know about slavery. Don't feel good about that. But I like the idea of them dressed in the silly costumes. Right. Well, just this idea of just like these interesting relationships between other creatures. Sea lions right. for slaves and dolphins for warriors. I feel like the dolphins <laughs> would make pretty good warriors. I agree. Fast. I agree. Clicky. Pulsating. Kind of like calls. Ah, they're like little fighter jets. Ah! Yeah. And then the Tlingit people of southeastern Alaska regarded the killer whale as custodian of the sea and a benefactor of humans. So yeah, that's um that's orcas for you. Do you have any orc queries? I don't, actually. I thought that was really great, Meredith. I'm My big takeaways are that orcas are actually dolphin adjacent. Yes. Which is interesting to me. Dolphin cuzzies, really. Yeah, they're kind of like big dolphins. <laughs> they're like the plantain of the dolphin world. Sh- yeah. 
Sure. Like larger and slightly different colors. Right. Compared to bananas. A little more spicy. Yeah. Not spicy. A little less sweet, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought that I thought that was great, Meredith. I feel really good. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. I guess it's a break time, huh? Yeah. Break. Hey, Patty, come down here. I have something I'm just dying to show you. Well, hey, Petey, what is it? What if I told you that you didn't have to drink plain, stale, smelly salt water ever again? Ah, well, you did just tell me. Now what? Just play along, Patty. Brand Clubby is listening. Um, well, I guess not having to drink plain, stale, smelly salt water would be all right, I guess. But we're just simple pelicans, Petey. Swallowing some seawater here and there is kind of in our job descriptions. But today that can change with Brand Clubby's new Sea Squirts, flavor makers for marine birds. Um, tell me more? Well, just because you asked, Patty, I would be delighted to tell you about how Sea Squirts, flavor makers for marine birds, works in tandem with your own marine bird desalination system to create clean, delicious tasting water with a delicious blast of your favorite flavors. Now tell me, Patty, what is your favorite flavor? Um, Malaysian satay? Oh yes, lobster. I love that flavor too. And wouldn't you believe it? Sea Squirt's Flavor Makers for Marine Birds not only makes a lobster flavor, but there's also crab, sea urchin, and scallop flavors as well. Wow, but how does it work? Before swooping down to scoop up a beak full of seawater, simply squirt a wing-friendly packet of Sea Squirt's Flavor Makers for Marine Birds into your beak and taste how quickly your seawater haul transforms from drab to fab. It kind of sounds like you're talking about interior decorating with that last line, but it's cool. I'll, I'll, I'll play along. Where do I find this amazing product? I'm so glad you asked, Patty. Simply log on to the Brand Clubby product portal and look for the new Sea Squirts, flavor makers for marine birds. And good news, if you log on in the next five minutes, you'll receive a free tuna flavor packet for those times you just want to truly take your taste buds on the trip of a lifetime. Now you sound like you're trying to sell me a timeshare. But, yeah, wow, um, I, I can't wait to try new Sea Squirts flavor makers for marine birds. Now listen to me smile in agreement. Freevers. Couplet. Stanza. Haiku. Here are some animal poems for you. This poem is called Extinct on Eight Toes. If rhinos had smartphones, how would they scroll even? Well, with their singular powerful third toe, of course. Barring some accidental inadvertent crushing of said phone, they are rhinos after all. I can't help but fear for the even greater tragedy of what they might read once they've opened Safari, an apt search engine for those Savannah stompers. Or wait, is that just an attempt by this author to be cute, trying to make some clever word cloud connection between search engines and East African creaturedom? As if safaris, internet browsers, or tourist delights could ever fully capture the feeling of coming face-to-face with your own species' imminent and permanent demise. Printed right there, deep in the recesses of the New York Times digital edition. Granted, the rhino can read, of course. But with all the prehistoric wisdom that seems contained in those sweet, wrinkly eyes, I'm sure they are capable enough peepers of their own fading being Oh, but the shock of scrolling to that ominous title, The Last Two Northern White Rhinos on Earth. Frankly, it should rock us from our plantigrade high horse. Here we are screaming about empty words like patriot and liberty. Play pretending these words, or we for that matter, have any real meaning. All the while, the last two northern white rhinos on Earth stand quietly and precariously ungular grade on no more than eight toes between the two of them.
My name is Mike. My planet is Earth. Every morning I wake up my male secretaries. I have ascended the tower, in this case a stepladder, in a quest for enlightenment. But not just any enlightenment. I was seeking enlightenment from the burden of the roach, freedom from the yoke of frustration, and for advancement in the battle of cleanliness. What I encountered at El Tapo of the kitchen were the unholiest of mountains, the dunes of excrement. And though the spice must flow, disease shall not. So fourteen hours later, the dunes are no more. I have begun the operation of the insecticide schools, insecticide universities, insecticide libraries, insecticide museums, insecticide dance halls, and insecticide whorehouses, etc., etc. From a macro standpoint, there is no hope for victory. Arthropods have already and will continue to outlive primates. I am, however, seeking local success, and to dance the dance of real victory, my pests controlled. They will not steal my home nor my joy. They may thieve my food scraps, but they will never thieve my rainbow. Do snakes write sonnets? Quails, quatrains? We hope you found solace in our refrains. Texana who? Texana me! Kingdom. Animalia. They're filled with life. Philo. Cordata. Notochords. Class. Mammalia. Just like us. Order. Artiodactyla. Undulate squad. Activate. Family. Balaenopteridae. The rear workles of Cetacean Nation. Genus. Balaenoptera. A diverse genus of eight workles. Species. Musculus. The blue whale. It's the largest animal that has ever known to have existed. How are we on the whale wavelength this week, Mike? That's so funny. I don't know, Meredith. (gasps) When you got to Artiodactyla, I was like, what if she was doing a sea creature? And then when you said Dolphiny Day, I was like, oh, well, at least like she's doing a dolphin. I'm doing a whale. And then you were like, but I'm actually doing the whale dolphin. (laughs) The orca. So I was like, well, this is a whale centric episode. Yeah, we're feeling a lot of whale energy. I wonder what that's all about. Maybe we feel like we've been underwater and we're just seeking an opportunity to expel the carbon dioxide that has accumulated in our lungs. Yes. And a plume of salty, foamy water out of our (laughs) backs, the back of our skulls. So this episode is brought to you by blowholes. (laughs) Blowholes. Coming to an ocean near you. Well, Meredith... How much did your orcas weigh away again? How much did they weigh? How um, big were they? I think it said up to six tons. And how long were they? Up to like 26 feet. So the blue whale is 98 feet long, <laughs> up to 98 feet, which is to say that if you got three blue whales together and laid them end to end, that would be like one football field, you know, goal line to goal line. And the total weight, max weight, total weight, 190 tons, which is 380,000 pounds. That is over a third of a million. Oh my gosh. Thousand pounds. So the same three whales would be a total weight of a million pounds. Unbelievable. I do remember in my elementary school, in like one of our hallways, we had like a tape running down like the length of the hallway, and it was like, this is the length of a blue whale. I mean, it's a crazy way to visualize it but yeah it's like the freaking length of an elementary school hallway it's like 15 rooms deep it's crazy yeah well those tiles were usually a foot by foot so i bet that was pretty easy to count i bet they just counted 98 tiles and then put down the marker Mm -hmm. and it took them took them five minutes and it entertained the kids for probably three whole days i'm still talking about it (laughs) that's some successful early childhood education just it 
<sighs> okay, Kingdom Animalia, duh. They're filled with life. Whatever. <laughs> Say that other kingdoms don't have life, but I just don't. Obviously, it's Kingdom Animalia. Phylum Chordata, Notochords, <laughs> just like our tunicate friends. Class Mammalia, just like us, we are mammals. Mammary glands. Got some fucking oil in my eye because I hair, hair that causes you to put product in your hair that then drips into your eye and causes your eye to burn. Oh. That's the mammalian experience. <laughs> also three middle ear bones. Order Artiodactyla, our undulate friends. We will, of course, ruminate here for a bit because as stated before when discussing chevrotains and other creatures, I mean, these were land dwellers. These are the same as the deers, the hoofed creatures, the antelope, the gazelle, the elk. They're all more closely related to the blue whale than any fishes are right. related to the blue whale, you know? So I think that's super interesting. We've arrived at the infra order of Cetacea, which is Cetacean Nation. Put a fin up. Which is, you know, all of our whale buddies. Now we're into a new tax level, the parv order. The parv order for this species is Mysticeti. And these are the baleen whales. Okay. AKA the whalebone whales. So these are the baleen whales that filter things, you know, the way that we love them to filter, I guess. The family is the Balenopteridae, the real Rorkles of Cetacean Nation. Rorkles? Rorkles. R O R Q U A L S. It's. Uh, Norwegian root, but via France. Interesting. Okay. Old Norse Norwegian. So this whole fam generally have what are called a series of pleated throat grooves. So if you think about this, like think about the kind of the ventral side of the whale, how like right under the mouth, how there's that kind of textured skin that runs down. Yeah, it looks all like pimply right so the that's where there would be like the pleated throat grooves then their longitudinal folds of skin that run from the mouths to the navel and because there's so much extra skin it allows more freedom of movement when the mouth expands immensely to suck in a bunch of water oh right yeah during the feeding process because what they do is they engorge great mouthfuls of water and food in a single gulp. Right. And then they use their tongue and their, you know, whale parts to push <laughs> the water out through their baleen moment to catch all of the creatures that were right. in the water. And then they eat it. You know, I think I used to do a lot of like pretending I was pushing the baleen water out through my baleen. Yeah. In the pool too. And he's like... Yeah. Shoot the water and the cracks in your teeth, cracks between your teeth. Yeah. Well, if you opened your mouth very wide to do that, then you'd be projecting a lot of Rorkel energy. And much like the Rorkels, you would also be slender and streamlined in shape, and you would have narrow, elongated flippers. The dorsal fin is about two-thirds of the way back. They love eating crustaceans. They also like krill. They'll dine on various fish species such as herring and sardines generally the genus Baleenoptera. it contains eight of the nine species of workles the other workle is the humpback we're not talking humpbacks today Mm-mm. but this genus was known to the fossil record from the neogen to the quaternary so about 13.65 million years ago we got this genus of whale and they've been around since Species musculus. It's the blue whale. It was once abundant in nearly all the oceans of the world until about the end of the 19th century. It was hunted almost to extinction. In 1967, the International Whaling Commission banned all hunting of blue whales. And to give you an idea, I was thinking of your passenger pigeon friend, but it's estimated that there were about 400,000 blue whales that were caught between like 1868 and 1978, approximately. And the current global blue whale population is estimated to be 10,000 to 25,000, which is between 3 and 11% of the estimated population size in 1911, which just gives you an idea. Like, so I, I know that's like a lot of numbers and facts and things, 
But the point is, is that right? Yeah, humans done hunted this one a lot and killed it a lot, and so uh, that's the situation. They're a mottled grayish blue, but they appear blue underwater, and the mottling pattern is unique to the individual and can be used. So maybe there's a fin book and there's also a model book. Yeah. <laughs> Meredith, I got some pretty interesting information because I know you're wondering how can you tell the age of a whale? Yes. So as they secrete their earwax, <laughs> it changes color, indicating like periods of fasting and migration and feeding. Okay. And so when the earwax goes from like light to dark, and then back to light again, that's like one year. It like takes a, it's like every cycle of earwax coloration is one year. So to get the age of a whale, all you got to do is take the little earwax plugs and kind of slice into it and then just count the layers. Oh my gosh. And I want to see, I want to see the removal of an earwax plug from a blue whale. Yeah. Look out, Dr. Pimple Popper. Oh my gosh. I would live for that. I'm going to give a shout out to Steve. I know he's listening. He's like the one person that shares in my love of like earwax extraction videos. Oh, gross. (laughs) What up, Steve? Well, we know from this earwax data that females typically reach sexual maturity about 10 years old. And at that point, they're an average of like 77 feet, which is a, that's a lot. A lot of ladies. That's a lot of 10 year old. (laughs) 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 They're pretty much a solitary creature though, Meredith. And they're occasionally found in small groups. Little's known about their mating behavior or breeding slash birthing. When they'll travel, the male will typically trail the female. And then, like, intruder males may make an appearance, but the guy following her is usually successful at repelling them with a short and vigorous battle. (laughs) And based on anatomy of the whale, specifically the small testy to body ratio, small testy to body ratio, as well as documented visual observations of a second male joining the traveling pair. There is a little bit of like a suggestion here of like polygynandry and like antagonistic male to male competition strategy, you know? Oh, yeah. We don't have any like hard facts about that. But they think mating occurs fall through winter and birth is every two to three years. The ladies will gain about 4% of their body weight daily, gaining 60% of their overall body weight throughout the summer foraging periods. Gestation is about 10 to 11 months, which sounds like it was the same for you approximately. It was for 10 to 15. 10 to 15. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then for the Antarctic blue whale, because there's, you know, there's a bunch of different subspecies. The calf is like 23 feet long. So the baby is 23 feet long and then weighs like 5 1,600 to 6,000 pounds, which is ridiculous. Like how, okay, graphic, I know, but everyone's wondering, how big is the vagina? (laughs) No stats, but (laughs) I do have the range of sounds that they make, which are between 14 hertz and 220 hertz, which is low, 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 low. Yeah. And they are loud. They've calculated the believed to be source level of blue whales. So just like sound, like loudness, like sound pressure, it's estimated that blue whales off Chile produce 188 decibels of sound in the range between 14 to 220 hertz, which is very, very, very loud. That's like louder than a jet engine. And they just kind of make that sound. Under the water, <laughs> they just you know? kind of blase, like just open their mouth and it's like, yeah. <laughs> 190 decibels is like as loud as a shotgun blast or like a rocket lifting off. Wow. Yeah. So whales are as loud as rockets. So look, they call a lot. They have a lot of songs. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of interesting stuff here. A lot of lines of inquiry about the whale calls and the studying of the whale call. And so they're like, well, the blue whale call off Sri Lanka is a three unit phrase. It's a pulsive cell ranging 20 to 43 hertz, lasting 18 seconds, give or take five seconds. 
So that's the first unit. So they go like pulse, 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 you know, whatever. And then the second unit is a frequency modulation upsweep from 55 hertz to 72. So like a portamento, they go like, (laughs) and that lasts 14 seconds, give or take a second. And then the final unit is a long 28 second tone that sweeps from 108 to 14 hertz. So that's a very subtle little trill moment. Oh, man. So fascinating. I'm just thinking of all the like songs, new age to folk, what have you, that always include like whale songs just gently in the background. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, who could be mad at that? No, Hey. Yeah. Not mad at all. I mean, um, you know, Meredith, that's kind of, oh, oh, possible reasons for calling include maintenance of inter-individual distance. Like their spacing. They're very conscious of their spacing, which is someone who works with dancers, I appreciate. Yes. They it's to recognize which species they're a member of or their individual who are we dealing with. They may send contextual information like, hey, feeding or alarm or courtship. They may contact each other to maintain their social organization. They may be communicating the location of topographical features or of Ooh. prey resources. Yeah. Like, who knows? We don't really know. What are the whales talking about? <laughs> Do you speak baleen? What are the whales talking about? Talking about whale, whale. Blue. <laughs> Meredith, do you have any baleen questions or krill concerns that I can help address in this our difficult moment? Krill concerns, my goodness. Where do I begin? Uh, <laughs> no, I I don't. That All that stuff, I just like, I feel so measly in comparison to the blue whale. We're definitely much smaller organisms. Yeah. It's just fascinating. I can't even fathom that size of like as a creature. Yeah, it does make me feel a little bit like if I can't even walk down the hallway of my apartment without running into the wall, like how does a blue whale control all that body? <laughs> I know. Body, yaddy, 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 yaddy. Just doing hot whale shit, you know? <laughs> I always like to think of like how much a whale would struggle to read a book because they've got these tiny little flippers and they're like kind of far back on their body and then like their eyes wouldn't be able to see over their big noses. Uh-huh. Tragic. Yeah. But that was great. Thanks. I'm so glad we took a trip to Cetacean Nation today. Thanks. Yeah, me too. I've struck with the vision of twerking whales. <laughs> <laughs> Just the little things going like this. That's how whales twerk. Oh, cute. Are you ready to take a break, Meredith? Yeah. I'm going to go contemplate some twerking whales. Myself also. Brand Clubby is thrilled to announce Nutrafin, the weight loss system for cetaceans. Nutrafin is an all-natural plant and herb-based system that is fine-tuned to replace the nutrition normally obtained by the consumption of krill, plankton, and crustaceans. Nutrafin is easy to use. Just use the included scoop to portion out the appropriate amount. Scatter it into the ocean. And swim through the cloud of nutrition, filter feeding your way to a new body. It's that easy. Just scoop, scatter, and swim. Scoop, scatter, swim? Scoop, Scoop, scatter, scatter, and swim. Results have been proven by science. Shave off 60% of blubber. So your sleek and sexy body slides through the water even quicker. Confuse your pod who may think an eel has infiltrated their ranks. But it's just you, a formerly whale of a whale, now blubber-free. Use code YUMYUM2021 at checkout to save 15%. And scoop, scatter, and swim your way to a brighter tomorrow. What's that smell? What's that smell? It's the feed bag. It's the feed bag. All right. Well, uh, yeah, Meredith, 
let's I mean, let's do it. We've got a bunch of questions that the people need to have answered. We're ready to answer the questions. We love to hear from you. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Okay. So, Juliet from Cambridge wants to know, do teenage turtles put up little posters on the insides of their shells? Uh, ooh. What an image. How cute. Yeah. I feel like there, because remember, there's the two types of turtles. There's the showers and the growers. Yes. yes. I think that the showers don't yeah. put up posters because they do that thing where their neck kind of cranes around to the side. Yeah, it just kind of tucks in rather than like uh-huh. fold. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like less about posters and more just turtle types. You know, yeah, turtle types. The growers, the ones that tuck the head like back into their bodies. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. They could have little posters in there. If you were a little turtle, what poster would you have up inside your shell? Ooh, it would be like Olivia Newton John <laughs> from like the 80s with the leg warmers, except she would be like a turtle, you know? <laughs> yeah. I would want like a big poster, but I guess it couldn't be too big. It has to fit in my shell. But I would want a poster that just had like a huge, like highly illustrated, like rainforest scene. And there's just like every different animal in there. And it'd just be like so fun to stare at all the time. Cause there's so many little things to stare at on the poster. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There'd be like an anteater on, a, on the floor and like a tamarind up in the tree and a jaguar stalking through. And that would all be on the poster. <laughs> I might have a poster for 79 degrees, which would be the turtle equivalent boy band of 98 degrees. <laughs> but at, you know, the typical body temperature of a turtle. Oh my gosh. 76 degrees, is that what you said? I think I said, I, well, it would be 78 degrees because. 78. <laughs> It would be 78 degrees. 78 degrees. 78 degrees. So I guess, like, I mean, a fish position? Duh. Yeah, a fish position is, is yeah. for the most part, yes. So, ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. All right. This next question comes from Knoxville, Tennessee, where Bertex asks us, do salps have a favorite confection? Oh. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I would imagine they would. I'm going to just go ahead and say I think it's meringue. So we're assuming that confection is like a sweet treat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Salp. Yeah. Confections are like, I guess, sweet. Yeah. They're generally sweet treats. Growing up, did you ever have that kind of, it was like jello, but it was somebody took the time to like make it. So it was like all, like all rainbow colors, like stacked one on top of the other. Yeah. Yeah. Like a jello mold thing. Yeah, but like with every color of the Jello rainbow. Right, right. Yeah, I remember. I could those. see them being into that Ooh. because it's like kind of jiggly and kind of like ooey gooey, like sea creatures are. But it'd be like sweet and it's fun and colorful, like the tuna kits are or the salts. Sure. Excuse me. Sure. Yeah, I'm still sticking to meringue. I think they like a stick peak. You know, sure. I think that they're into egg whites. <laughs> I think that they generally like um, you know like the meringues that aren't like that death crisp all the way through I think they like a soft. more subtle softy center meringue experience you know I hear that I hear that this one's delicious actually so, yeah house so house divided I say meringues I say rainbow jello ding 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 so Steven from Oakland asks do snakes dance by slithering around on the ground, or do they rear up and undulate a lot? Ooh, good question, Stephen. Maybe it just depends on like the kind of dance. Maybe yeah. Maybe snake dance isn't a monolith, diverse and able to be expressed in so many ways. I mean, like they're snakes. Of course, they're gonna they're gonna be great dancers, no matter how they're doing it. Yeah. I was going to say perhaps we should consider the dancing tradition of other squamates, but I think that that really discounts the millions of years that the Serpentes have had to develop their own dance traditions. So I'm sure there can be parallels drawn between the two, but I would imagine that snakes would have distinct dance traditions just on their limb circumstance alone, you know? <laughs> right. So so maybe we have to look more towards our annelids 
or our nematodes and consider their dance practices, which is, I don't know, complicated. I think I might be kind of losing the thread here. Let me reread the question, Stephen. <laughs> do snakes dance by slithering around on the ground or do they rear up and undulate a lot? I, Meredith, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think that the only thing that is binding the snake dance technique is the limitations that the snake's brain has imposed on the snake's body. So I Ugh. would feel that there are traditions both of slithering around on the ground as well as traditions of rearing up and undulating a lot. Exactly. Why can't we have it all? Yeah. And with snakes, you can. Ding, ding, ding. ding, ding. ding. Right? Okay, perfect. Keep the questions coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. You know what? <laughs> we love to hear from you. And I guess everybody have a really great week in animals. Yeehaw. Bye. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan.